Long Reads is supported by University of Nebraska Press. One book you might enjoy is A Different Trek, Radical Geographies of Deep Space Nine by David K. Seitz. It's the first full-length study of race, capitalism and geopolitics in the fourth series of the Star Trek franchise. There's a 40% discount available on A Different Trek when you use the code 6AS23 on the University of Nebraska Press website. A final note before the show. Jacobin has a special offer this week in celebration of International Workers' Day. You can get a year of digital access to our full archive for just $1, or $10 to receive the print magazine as well. Just use the code MAYDAY2023, all capital letters, or follow the link in the page for this episode. This offer also applies if you want to share Jacobin with a friend. Hello, you're very welcome to Long Reads, a Jacobin podcast where we look in depth at political topics and thinkers. My name's Daniel Finn, I'm the features editor here at Jacobin, and I'll be presenting the show. In May 1980, Josip Tito died after ruling Yugoslavia for more than three decades. News reports presented his death as the end of an era. Roosevelt, Stalin, Churchill, Chiang Kai-shek, De Gaulle, Tito, the great allied leaders of World War II, all gone now. The last of them, President Tito of Yugoslavia... In the absence of Tito, the Yugoslav League of Communists put in place a collective, power-sharing model. A politician from each of the country's national units would take their turn as the head of state. Yugoslavia was still hoping to capitalise on its position between the Cold War blocs. It even tried exporting cars to the U.S. Introducing the new Yugo, a paramount engineering achievement from Yugoslavia. From busy traffic to rough terrain, Yugo will lead you anywhere. Yugoslavia was also a major tourist destination. This advert from 1990 presented the Federation as a happy blend of cultures and civilizations. Can you imagine a country where you can still find ancient towns ruined by a crystal clear sea? Yugoslavia is a country with a long, turbulent history. After World War II, it became a socialist federation made up of six republics and two autonomous regions. It speaks five official languages and prays to an Eastern Orthodox, Catholic, and Muslim God. This is no imaginary land. This is Yugoslavia. By that time, however, Yugoslavia was on the brink of collapse. The rise of two nationalist leaders... Slobodan Milosevic of Serbia and Croatia's Franco Tudjman was followed by the outbreak of civil war. Our guest today for a conversation about Yugoslav history is Catherine Samari. She's an historian of the Balkans and the author of several books, including Yugoslavia Dismembered. This is the second part of a two-part interview. You can hear the first part on the website for Jacobin Radio. When people try to explain the breakup of Yugoslavia in the early 1990s, there are two understandings of what happened that often dominate the conversation. One view places the blame squarely with the Serbian leader Milosevic and the forces of Serbian nationalism. There's also a second argument that the breakup of Yugoslavia was unavoidable because the different national communities were simply unable to live together in a single state. How would you analyse the main factors behind the outbreak of war? I think there were, of course, dominant and dominated nations. So all powers, 
all republics, all provinces, and all leading figures at the head of those different organs were not at the same level. So I distinguish the role of and the attempt to build out of the uh, crisis of the socialist system a kind of uh, capitalist Yugoslav system. But this was very weak and concretized by the Croat uh, Ante Markovic, who was the last federal leading uh, figure of the uh, Yugoslav government before the breakup. And he, he tried uh, to impose a kind of IMF privatization of the system, which meant at the Yugoslav level attacking self-management rights which were consolidated by the constitution and which were still popular among workers. So, in fact, there was no real Yugoslav bourgeoisie able to implement such a program. So I would distinguish three dominant actors, not only Milosevic, but of course Milosevic. In fact, there were the three dominant nations coming out of the first Yugoslavia, that is Serbs, Croats, and Slovenians, which also had dominant position for the different reasons. The Slovenian leaders had a dominant position because they were the richest and the most homogeneous republic. And behind the scene, contrary to the interpretation of the breakup because of only Milosevic, in fact, behind the scene, there were agreements between the Slovenian leader Kuchan and Milosevic, who didn't care about Slovenia and agreed about the split of Slovenia and even the partial armed conflict which occurred in Slovenia was <laughs> not led by Belgrade and Milosevic, but by the last Yugoslav federal Prime Minister Ante Markovic, the Croat Ante Markovic, which had the role of leading the army, the Yugoslav army. So Slovenia had the capacity to break and to prepare its own currency and to try to integrate the European Union in a position of force because of its capacity to export and its very low level of unemployment at the end of the period. Then the main issues for all other republics and provinces were the fact that any nationalist project was confronted to the minority issues. And there you have the key role of, I would say, Milosevic and Tujman. Milosevic, of course, because Belgrade was both the capital of Yugoslavia and of Serbia, and that was a big error, by the way, of the system. And uh, Milosevic was not simply a, na a Serbian nationalist. He played on all tools and ideologies. And he, 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 he wanted to have the largest territory under his control. So he played upon Yugoslavism, the Yugoslavism of the first Yugoslavia. So based on the majority of Serbs, of the rule of majority, and the uh, criticism he expressed was against uh, what he called the unjust treatment of Serbs as a majority nation in the second Yugoslavia, the, the Titoist one. And so uh, Milosevic attempt 
through its own uh, mutation into a pro-capitalist figure, was to keep as big as possible territory in a third non-socialist Yugoslavia dominated by the Serbs. So recentralization of Serbia against its provinces, that is Vojvodina, and Kosovo. And of course, it played the key role about the conflict in Kosovo. And also integrating in the third Yugoslavia, Montenegro, which played a specific role because the language was similar, but the political, historical identity was different from Serbia. And of course, there were the issue of the Serb minorities inside Croatia, in the Kradina, that is the frontier of Croatia, and in Bosnia Herzegovina. During the 1960s, a British pop group called The Shadows had a dedicated fan base in Yugoslavia. The Shadows repaid the compliment by covering a famous Serbian tune, The March on the Drina, in 1966. Lyback, an industrial band from Slovenia, became one of the most successful exports from the Yugoslav music scene two decades later. Their own cover of the March on the Drina was released in 1994 as part of an album called NATO. The change of musical style reflected the change in political mood. By the time the song was recorded, the Bosnian capital Sarajevo was under siege by Serb forces. Slobodan Milosevic had allowed Slovenia to go its own way in 1991, but Serb nationalists in Croatia set up a breakaway statelet with support from the Yugoslav army. When Bosnia declared its independence in 1992, Milosevic and his ally Radovan Karadzic set out to destroy the new state. The result was a brutal conflict, characterised by massive atrocities against the Muslim population of Bosnia. Leibach belonged to an art collective that claimed to be a state of its own and even issued its own passports. Some Bosnians used the passports to escape the siege of Sarajevo. The turning points, the 1989 Kosovo, that is the suppression by Milosevic, of all gains which were integrated in the last constitution of Yugoslavia during Tito and Kardel time, where Kosovo Albanians won status of quasi-republic with representation at the level of the federation like republics. For instance, in the collegial collective presidency, where all nations were represented in the equal footing, Each year, you had a new president uh, of a different nation, and that included an Albanian. Of course, uh, uh, Milosevic suppressed all that and suppressed the increasing autonomy that uh, Albanian Kosovo had in the managing of Kosovo. Milosevic asked 
all those who had an employment in, inside the public factories and so on, to express uh, their loyalty to the Belgrade Serb constitution. Of course, that was unacceptable for Albanians. And uh, so they broke with what were their demands, that is, to have the status of republic within Yugoslavia, and they proclaimed, they self-proclaimed, an autonomous republic of Kosovo with the leading role of Ibrahim Rugova in a pacifist way. And that were years of neither peace nor war in Kosovo. The second turning point was at the beginning of the 90s in Croatia. Croatian nationalism, led by Tuchman, was not only a reaction to Milosevic. There were concrete Tuchman anti-Semitic and anti-Serbian statements and aims, which were to transform the statue of the Serb population in Croatia, which represented 12% of the population, into a real minority and uh, Serbs in Croatia were considered as a constituent nation of Croatia, as the Croats people. And Dujman wanted to destroy this. And he also had offensive ambition on Bosnia. And Bosnia-Herzegovina was a leading issue for the development of conflicts. The situation in Bosnia-Herzegovina was very specific because there was three official constituent nations, Serbs, Croats, and Muslims, recognized as, as a nation, uh, according to dominant culture, without absolute majority. But this uh, very specific republic, consolidated by Tito, was under a dual attack against what was considered by Croatian nationalists ideology as an artificial republic and Slav Muslims were considered as an artificial nation because Croat nationalists considered them as Croats, whereas uh, Serbian nationalists considered those Slav Muslims as Serbs. So behind the war during three years, there was the attempt to carve up Bosnia through a, a de facto conflicting alliance, but a real alliance between Milosevic and Tuchman, and behind uh, Milosevic and Tuchman, or with them, the concrete extreme nationalist militias, Croatian and Serbian nationalist militias, which met in Graz in Austria, to organize their uh, ethnic cleansing of Bosnia, which was close to Croatia, and the other one was to be called later on Republika Serbska of Bosnia, so Serb Republic of, of Bosnia, through ethnic cleansing. On both sides, uh, there were ethnic cleansing against, first of all, Muslims, Bosniaks, uh, but also all Croats and Serbs from Bosnia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, who uh, refused to join either Serbia or, or Croatia and were attached to the traditions and history of Bosnia-Herzegovina. 
The most notorious atrocity of the war came in July 1995, when the Serbian army captured the town of Srebrenica. 8,000 Muslim men and boys were killed after the town fell. The BBC carried this broadcast from Srebrenica in 1996. Today, thousands of Bosnian Serb refugees are moving into Srebrenica, taking the homes relinquished by 42,000 Muslims last July. The new residents would rather not live in areas handed to their enemies under the Dayton peace deal. Now they dwell among destroyed mosques. At the end of January, the Bosnian Serbs handed over the last of their prisoners in Sarajevo. The International Red Cross confirmed that there were no more of Srebrenica's men alive in captivity. One Red Cross official said he could only conclude that at least 3,000 Muslims who are still missing had been massacred. There's a growing agreement among international investigators that the fall of Srebrenica prompted the biggest war crime of the Bosnian conflict. The International War Crimes Tribunal says Karakai was the central site for the murder of Srebrenica's missing men. A few hundred yards away, we saw some American troops. They were not aware of the site's significance, nor had they been issued with pictures of General Mladic or other indicted war criminals. Investigators hope they can gather their final evidence when the snow melts, but only an optimist would prophesy that the accused will ever stand trial. The commander of the Bosnian Serb army, Radko Mladic, was ultimately put on trial for war crimes. His guilty verdict was upheld on appeal last year, as Channel 4 reported. End of the road for the man who became known as the Butcher of Bosnia. For criminal tribunals, is no session. Mladic, now aged 78, scowled as the court upheld his convictions for genocide, crimes against humanity and war crimes. Finding that Mr. Mladic is not guilty of genocide and... The presiding judge, Zambian Prisca Matimba Nyembe, dissented from the other four judges, but that makes no difference to the verdict nor the life sentence that Mladic must now serve. At Srebrenica, Mladic ordered Bosnian Serb soldiers to separate the men and boys from the women, take them away by bus and shoot them in the worst war crime on European soil since World War II. He's also been found guilty of terrorising the civilian population of the Bosnian capital, Sarajevo, during the 43-month siege and of responsibility for ethnic cleansing. So what occurred behind Dayton? agreement which put an end to the war, there was first the coming back of United States in the Balkan for a moment, both behind the International Monetary Fund or uh, in front of uh, the different conflicts. The U.S. were more in favor of uh, Yugoslav transformation into a capitalist system then uh, a split in two Balkan wars, uh, which were associated with a big disorder and difficulty to control. But on the other hand, uh, the U.S. dominant figures were looking at the way the European uh, Union, which was built at the beginning of the 90s and 1991, tried to implement its ambition to build an autonomous foreign policy in Yugoslavia. 
dealing with the Yugoslav crisis. And the U.S. figures were quite happy to see that the European Union leaders were quite unable to solve or deal with this crisis and in an efficient way. Their plans were different impasses. So they discover and imagined that, in fact, they could use the Yugoslav crisis both to oppose the autonomy of the European Union kind of foreign policy and extension in Eastern Europe, and to uh, reshape what could be the role of NATO, which had been maintained in 1901, in spite of the fact that the Varsovia Pact uh, was dissolved and there was uh, no more a foreign communist enemy. There was the use of the notion of Serbian communism against Milosevic for a kind of continuity with the old Cold War. But Milosevic was really changing his economic and political aims. And he could play a role of new political power in the management of Yugoslav or Balkan crisis. And precisely that was what Dayton Agreement tried to do. The figures who were associated to sign the agreement for peace in Bosnia, Herzegovina, were Milosevic, Tuchman, and Izetbegovic. Milosevic was supposed to sign uh, on behalf of all Serbs in Bosnia, Herzegovina, while accepting that de facto leading nationalist Bosnian Serbs who had organized the concrete ethnic cleansing of the new entity of Bosnia called Republika Srpska, were uh, to be prosecuted in uh, the new established international tribunal on Yugoslavia in La Haye. So Ratko Mladic and Radovan Karadzic, who were the leading uh, figures of ethnic cleansing in Bosnia-Herzegovina were considered as uh, war criminals, whereas Milosevic was considered as the one who could sign a peaceful agreement for Bosnia-Herzegovina. Tuchman was also considered as a second important figure to establish some quiet relationship at the level of the former Yugoslavia. Why? Precisely because there was, what I said before, a concrete deals and agreements between Milosevic and Tuđman. What type of deal? A deal to sign the Dayton Agreement, but to impose U.S. and and European uh, leaders the fact that each of, of them, that is Milosevic and Tuđman, would deal with their own internal problems as internal problems. That is, Kosovo was to be considered as an internal problem in Serbia, and the issue of conflict with the Croatian Serbs was considered as an internal problem of Croatia. And before the signature of uh, Dayton, 
there was first the ethnic cleansing of Srebrenica, which later was considered as the war crimes committed by uh, Radko Mladic and Radovan Karadzic. But besides Srebrenica, and in, in the darkness of Srebrenica, there was also the ethnic cleansing of hundreds of thousands of Serbs from the Croatian Krajina, who had to be sent back to Serbia, where? To Kosovo. And that was the deal and the hope of Milosevic to increase the ethnic, the Serbian ethnic composition of Kosovo against uh, Albanians. The problem was that uh, when the uh, Croatian Serbs arrived by trains in Kosovo, they didn't want to stop there. They wanted to go in a safer province that is in Vojvodina, but that is another side of the story. But that means that beyond Dato, there was a concrete agreement between Milosevic and Tujman and with Izetbegovic to recognize a so-called sovereign Bosnia-Herzegovina, while Izetbegovic himself was not a clear figure. Did he represent, like it was said for its signature of the agreement, the Muslims? What did it mean? Muslims as religious community? or Muslims as Bosniaks, or was he the president of a new secular state, and did he represent Bosnians, that is, the citizens of Bosnia and Herzegovina, whatever be their religion. So the Dayton Agreement were completely obscure, opaque, real politics, and stable, and still up to now, and stable. Al Jazeera carried this report in November 2020 to mark the 25th anniversary of Dayton. Peace came 25 years ago with a deal reached in the United States, the Dayton Agreement. It may have stopped the fighting, but now suffering of a different kind is abundant. Low wages, a failing economy, corruption in the ruling elite, poor education, high unemployment. In this type of state, in this life that we are living, as a failed state, as a failed international intervention, um, we feel there's a failed people. What followed the Dayton Agreement was a bewildering, often dysfunctional system of government. Three presidents from the once warring parties, Bosnian Serbs, Croats and Bosnian Muslims. Layers of bureaucracy with divisive rule under a weak central government. One hope lies with Joe Biden, the US president-elect. In stopping what was international aggression by Serbia. As a senator in the 1990s, he had a major interest in trying to solve the Bosnian conflict. And as vice president to Barack Obama, he pushed for political reform in Bosnia. But again, there's cynicism about the role of international intervention. Politicians, um, including Joe Biden, who do belong to this old guard of politicians, I don't see. I don't see we need them anymore. We we should really, after 25 years, find a way to uh, stand up uh, and to stand up on our own feet. No one won the war, and the ethnic divisions it created are frozen within the politics of peace. 25 years on, there's still a shadow cast on Bosnia's future. Last point, back to Kosovo, 
it was the beginning of the story in 1989, and it is 10 years afterwards considered uh, at Dayton as an internal affair for Serbia. And that was the reason of a turning point, not of Milosevic, but of the Albanians. That is, the fact that the Albanian nation, uh, with its different political currents within it, could draw the balance sheet of what had been the strategy led by Ibrahim Rugova in a peaceful way, that is, proclaiming the Kosovo as a republic, hoping for an international recognition, which never came. So, looking at what was occurring in Dayton, that is the consolidation of Milosevic to implement international plans, <laughs> there was the development of a new political line in order to win independence of Kosovo for Albanian nationality, which is the emergence of Uceka, that is the army for national liberation of Kosovo, and in a conflict with Rugova. And they wanted to implement an armed conflict to win national rights through the judgment, which appeared to be correct, by the way, that if they increased their offensive to win their rights, they will be repressed by Belgrade. And that repression will increase the popularity of the national struggle among villagers, which also was confirmed in practice. So uh, there was an international change among U.S. figures. That is, Ucheka, which was considered by Belgrade and by uh, European diplomacy as terrorists inside Serbia, suddenly in 1998, uh, they were considered as actors for their uh, national liberation and integrated in the uh, negotiation of Rambouillet on Kosovo. So the last uh, issue of uh, Rambouillet is, of course, very conflicting issue because there, what was the hope of the European diplomacy? The hope of the Euro European diplomacy was to win in their foreign policy <laughs> an agreement with Milosevic, like U.S. won an agreement on Bosnia-Herzegovina with Milosevic and Tuchman. And uh, that was possible because Milosevic at that time was uh, ready after uh, a year of uh, de facto apartheid in, in Kosovo to leave a, a part, a dominant part of uh, Kosovo after the fact that the Serbs from Croatia refused to establish themselves there to leave a broad part of Kosovo to Albanian management, and uh, to, they had to pay for, for their schools, they had to pay for everything, so a de facto apartheid, but constitutional apartheid uh, within a kind of uh, new autonomy. So that was, in fact, the spirit of Milosevic's involvement behind Rambouillet and behind the hope 
of the European diplomacy. But the U.S., uh, as they were uh, both hostile to any autonomy of European uh, foreign policy, they also wanted to manage the transformation of the role of NATO using a Yugoslav conflict. U.S. President Bill Clinton announced the start of the NATO bombing campaign in this televised address to the American people. Today, our armed forces joined our NATO allies in airstrikes against Serbian forces responsible for the brutality in Kosovo. We have acted with resolve for several reasons. We act to protect thousands of innocent people in Kosovo from a mounting military offensive. We act to prevent a wider war, to defuse a powder keg at the heart of Europe that has exploded twice before in this century with catastrophic results. And we act to stand united with our allies for peace. By acting now, we are upholding our values, protecting our interests, and advancing the cause of peace. Ten years later, Al Jazeera reported from Serbia to mark the anniversary of the war. The first bombing of its kind in NATO history. On March 24, 1999, Western nations carried out their threat against Serbia and began the biggest military conflict on Serbian soil since World War II. NATO saw the war as the only way to end President Slobodan Milosevic's violent crackdown in Kosovo, where his Serb nationalist forces were accused of ethnic cleansing against Kosovo's largely Muslim ethnic Albanian population. But what began as an attack on military targets soon expanded. Schools, monuments, homes and even the Chinese embassy were hit. At the end of the campaign, 11 weeks later, Human Rights Watch estimates around 500 civilians were killed. A decade on, the scars are still visible in Belgrade. Serbia has joined NATO's Partnership for Peace program, but full membership is some way off and the nation itself remains divided. Many of the ethnic Serbs who left Kosovo are yet to return, and more than a year on, the Serbian government won't recognise Kosovo's independence. But that time, they used their direct links with the Ucheka leaders, which came to US for negotiations. Ucheka, uh, that is the uh, National Liberation Army, had to fight on the grounds, and NATO would use its bombing to support them without any legality from the United Nations, but with the hope that it will push very rapidly Milosevic to accept a deal. But that was not Milosevic's answer, who refused any kind of bombing. And it was a disaster for everyone for, of course, first of all, the Albanians confronted to uh, the war, to the bombing, to Milosevic offensive, of course, and for Albanians themselves on the point of view of their rights for national liberation, because NATO had no legitimacy for that. So NATO was, if you go back on what was the behind-the-scenes situation of NATO, it was on the border of explosion. And the, the end of the war, at the end of 1999, could be solved in a peaceful way through the reintroduction of United Nations and behind uh, United Nations, of course, 
Russia, and behind Russia, of course, Serbia. That is, that the end of the war, three months of war involving NATO, led to the establishment of a protectorate under the control of United Nations, with the agreement of uh, Belgrade and Milosevic of such a provisional situation under the signature of the UN Resolution uh, 1244. That UN Resolution has been signed by Russia and is today supported by uh, Serbian leaders. It was supported by Milosevic and not by Albanians. So this whole scenario led to a very obscure and unstable situation. On one hand, of course, uh, a protectorate, which is not independence for uh, Kosovo. The Kosovo-Albanian won independence uh, through decision established in 2008 by their parliament uh, without being recognized by a part of United Nations and by Serbia. So that is not ended up to now. And that was the end of those uh, breakup of Yugoslavia, which is not completely finished up to now. How would you characterize the most important legacies of the Yugoslav experiment for the Balkans today and indeed for the wider world? First, about negative lasting effects. Within the, the, the Yugoslav space, whatever had been their richness and gains, the multiplicity of reforms of the Yugoslav self-management system of a, a short period occurred without any real democratic debate on their results. In the 1980s, the rise of nationalist forces dividing the Yugoslav Communist League itself and the state apparatus prevented even more serious assessments and debates from the point of view of the Yugoslav self-management socialist project itself. Massive workers' strikes occurred in that context and against austerity policies, but they could not find any political or trade union framework for the expression of workers' point of view at the level of the whole system. All that has a favored demoralization and ideological shifts towards different kinds of currents hostile to any kind of uh, emancipatory dimension of the communist ideals. Nationalist or uh, so-called universal neoliberal ideologies spread in the context of a global crisis of experiences referring to socialism. And in the 90s, 1990s, the violence of the wars of ethnic cleansing in the territories of the new nation-states and afterwards, or in between, the destruction of social rights have created profound ruptures. So in the former Yugoslavia, like in, at the world level, a radical denigration of any past attempt to break with the capitalist world system spread, accompanied by the slogan, Tina, there is no other choice. 
the logic of market competition and generalized privatization were presented as economic laws, so-called economic laws, towards so-called modernity. And workers' resistances, besides being difficult socially and politically, were stigmatized as backward mentality. For some decades, therefore, even researchers on the Balkans were mainly cultural, with uh, much stereotypes and without dealing with social classes, ownership and conflicts. But there is a recent turn, I said. The financial crisis of globalized capitalism affecting the European Union and the Balkans in 2008 and 2010 opened that new phase with new social upsurges in the world, in different parts of the world. And that broadened the margin for questioning and rethinking the past with post-colonial lenses. And, of course, that occurred with sharp ideological polarization, a lack of clarification, and different kinds, therefore, of interpretations even among the currents referring to Marxism. So this is even more true when we take into account the lasting negative ideological impact of what had been the Stalinization of USSR and the opacity of in the world of the China-Soviet split. Where was Yugoslavia in such context? So I will stress uh, three essential dimensions of the Yugoslav experience. The transformation of the anti-fascist struggle into a revolution for multinational social and social equality. Second, the subordination of the economy to self-management and national equalitarian rights allowing for the improvement of the standard of living of the great mass of the population over three decades. Then the impulse in between, the impulse of the non-aligned movement in Belgrade in 1961, of course a movement which was eclectic, but in which the Titoist leaders uh, did not propose a neutral position. And they defended the building of that movement with the aim to increase the resistance to all neocolonialism with a clear socialist commitment. This Yugoslav newsreel presented an optimistic view of the first non-aligned movement conference that was held in Belgrade in 1961. On the 1st of September, there was an air of excitement in the streets of Belgrade and in front of the federal parliament building where the conference was to take place. The citizens of Belgrade lined the streets to greet their guests. All these smiling people, young and old, were aware that the talks just about to start in their town would open up new prospects and vistas of hope for the anxious world and show that there were ways of averting the dangers threatening mankind. The 25 heads of delegations were unanimous in their appraisal that the question of war or peace was not a matter concerning the great nuclear powers alone. In view of the threat which nuclear armament presented to the world as a whole, 
This question was one concerning all nations and every individual. All the problems having been comprehensively reviewed, the heads of the delegations met in closed sessions in the building of the Federal Executive Council to draw up the final documents, a statement on the dangers of war and an appeal for peace, and the declaration of the heads of state and government of the non-aligned countries. These two documents, written in simple but impressive words, appeal to the world to join the common struggle for the preservation and consolidation of peace and for the settlement of all burning problems by way of negotiations. Without the revolutionary break, there would not have been the possibility and specific content of the split with Stalin leading to the introduction of new social and national rights to consolidate a specific uh, socialist system or system aiming to transform itself into a socialist society. And the non-aligned movement itself was again a mean to widen the margin of autonomous internal choices confronted to external capitalist or coming from Soviet Union, direct and indirect pressures. Those characteristics are major contributions against any kind of uh, fatalist visions, including today, considering visions which would consider that world geopolitics prevent any social and national agency, especially in a small country. Yugoslavia was around uh, 15 million people only. I think it is impossible to understand the Yugoslav revolutionary uh, victory and afterwards experience without a combination of, of course, powerful movements from below, which are essential for emancipatory uh, dimensions of the revolution and of the experience, and political, conscious choices made by the communist leaders against the orientations of Stalin and his allies. And this combination, uh, social movement and political choices, is true both of the partisan struggle, which led the Yugoslav Communist Party to the victory against fascism and to its breaks. But it is also true for the introduction of self-management, the transformation of the system, and also for the organization of non-aligned conference, which is linked to anti-colonial revolutions. In 2008, Euronews looked at the development of so-called Yugo-nostalgia in the former Yugoslav republics. Welcome to Yugoslavia. It may be a greeting you don't hear anymore, but for Sveto Trinini, he says it daily. He's the caretaker for Yugoland, a mini Yugoslavia recreated in northern Serbia. While today's bad weather has kept visitors away, Trinini says people come from all over, especially from the six former Yugoslav republics. Street signs, posters and statues pay tribute to Joseph Broz, better known as Tito, the man who ruled Yugoslavia for 35 years. Here we see how Tito was received throughout the world. China, Korea, Algeria, welcomed wherever he went, by young and old, with flowers. This is the man who created Mini Yugoslavia, 
Blasco Gabridge spent 13 years in Canada but came back in 1980 just before Tito died. He started building his mini theme park six years ago in the northern town of Subotica. But why pay tribute to Tito, who was a dictator and whose socialist policies left the country bankrupt by the time of his death? Gabridge disagrees and says life was better back then. He blames both nationalist politics and a lack of Western support for the breakup of Yugoslavia, a country of 23 million people. They want to make United Europe and we had United Balkan. Why did they destroy United Balkan? Subot is a city where you are today. We have 20 different nations lives in our city, 50, 63 years united in peace. We married in between. I'm Yugoslav. Why? Because our four grandparents are eight different nations. And they married each other and they live in harmony. That's I call United Europe. The biggest United Europe was in Yugoslavia. And they said that's artificial. What will be today Europe? Stevan Mirkovic is a former general of the Yugoslav army. He also heads Serbia's Tito Center. It's an NGO with branches throughout the former Yugoslav republics. He hopes to make it a political party. This association cultivates tradition, therefore saving that epoch from oblivion. We chose the name Tito as it makes it easier to explain to people what we aspire to. When you tell them about socialism and self-management, it's a long story. But if you tell them we support what there was in Tito's time, the work becomes clearer, easier. Another issue, the importance of what uh, I could call with others, praxis. That is a notion combining reflection and experience on the a Marxist point of view Within the experience, uh, the right of self-organization of, of social movements to raise unforeseen issues against oppression on environmental issues and so on. And this kind of uh, combination can feed the critical return on the advances, innovations and limits of socialist Yugoslavia and of any experience. I recall that this notion of praxis was the name taken by the review and by the Yugoslav Marxist school, which nourished the social independent movement of June 68 of the Yugoslav students fighting for, uh, that was their, their slogan, self-management from the bottom up. I have reproduced, by the way, several texts of that school, of the Praxis Current, and they expressed very radical Marxist humanism as a critical reflection on alienation, not only in the context of a capitalist system and exploitation, but also through critical approach and analysis of the countries claiming to be socialist and the Yugoslav system itself. They were radically defending the, the, the socialist revolution, Yugoslav socialist revolution and self-management system. They developed a critique, not only of the bureaucratic statism of USSR on that point of view, but also of the effects of the socialist market on self-management rights. I have underlined the plurality of actors and motives 
that waited uh, in the direction of the problematic choice of the suppression of planning in 1965 in Yugoslavia. I would like to insist here on the trap of a vision of the market either as uh, capitalist in say, or on the contrary, as neutral against the political bitterness of the party state behind the bureaucratic plan. The suppression of the domination of capital and of the commodity status of labor force removes the capitalist content of the market, which can be used in a post-capitalist society, as it was used before capitalism. But the suppression of the, the capitalist domination does not transform the market of self-managed uh, enterprises competing against each other into a simple neutral tool whose criteria or so-called laws should be respected. In Yugoslavia, the abolition of the plan was seen, even by trade unions and by workers, as a means of increasing the management rights of workers in self-managed enterprises. And I, I saw similar trends in Poland uh, during the experience Solidarność and so on. But very quickly, to each according to market result, as a slogan, appeared to be unfair and to be a source of inequality, contradictory to socialist ideals. And in Poland, in the 60s and, and, and 80s, as in Yugoslavia, the perception by the workers of the political character of and the ethical dimensions of all economic choices, whether they were imposed by the party state via a bureaucratic plan or a socialist market, was everywhere noted. Hence, there were conflicts in Yugoslavia, also encouraged by extensive social and national rights. I stress this because this means that those conflicts were therefore not the illustration of a failure. And even more, they were not an illustration of a society that has become uh, capitalist, except for the currents who conceive any kind of market as capitalist or who conceive a socialist society without conflict and without the mediation of political institutions at the heart of the choices. But the question of who ultimately decides and on the basis of what debates and criteria is essential. And it is combined with the central issue, not of the market or the plan, but of the status of human beings in a socialist democracy, which also means the rights of ownership and management of the means of production, not only those of the enterprises where they are employed. And here also there are lessons from the Yugoslav experience. This raises the issue of what we can call socialization of the means of production. This notion was enriched in Yugoslavia even in the different constitutions, on the basis of experience and innovations. And in the last constitution, 1974, um, it was still enriched. On the one hand, the very notion of social property was now explicitly opposed 
both to its statization, like in the Soviet Union, and to any form also, and that the new aspect, of de facto kind of privatization of social ownership by private groups or social groups, like a banking system or the managers. The constitution redefined basic units of associated labor endowed with rights of self-management. And that were smaller and closer to the workers. That was another dimension of implementation of social ownership. All the recent research gives force to an approach of the Yugoslav revolution as an open, non-linear history of concrete utopia. Utopian because it expresses the aspiration to human relations that do not yet exist without any model or, uh, or guarantee of success but concrete because it is rooted in mass movements fighting for dignity and social justice. So this is the main lessons of uh, uh, not only Yugoslav experience, but future experience of resistance. Many thanks to Catherine Samary for that introduction to Yugoslav history. This was the second part of a two-part interview. You can hear the first part on the website for Jacobin Radio. Long Reads is supported by Pluto Press. Pluto have developed a new list of audiobooks for some of their most popular titles. One book that's now available is Mad World, The Politics of Mental Health by Misha Fraser Carroll. Fraser Carroll shows that mental health is a political issue by exploring the history of asylums, psychiatry and alternative models of care. You can order Mad World now by going to tiny.one slash jacobin.